Well, good morning. We got to pray for. We have some of our regular college students who are graduating from UF, and they got this. They're in the outside stadium, and of course, you know with the thunder and lightning thing, they got to wait for twenty. They're going to be there all day. So, Lord, we pray. Would you move this weather out of the way, and let those uh, precious people graduate and go through this thing? And Lord, we're so grateful for the ones that we know, but for all of them, Lord, we ask your blessing. Uh, and your peace and your goodness, Lord, and, and uh, we pray that this uh, service of, uh, of great celebration and accomplishment could take place, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know you think I was playing hooky last week. I was not playing hooky. I was at a men's retreat, and we had a really wonderful time, uh, but I am back, and we have a number of announcements, and let me mention a couple things to you. Um, next Sunday, the 12th, we're having a baptism. It is next Sunday, correct? If I did my math right? Okay, good. Someone, I don't pay attention. I just know, I know what I'm gonna, where I'm going to be on Sunday, so I don't pay attention to the date. Okay, so uh, if, if we have a number of, I say a number, I think we have several children who will be baptized on that day. If, by chance, uh, you have a child and it's time to be baptized, we would like to meet with you this week and uh, do the preparatory class uh, and do that on Sunday. We're trying to group these together. Also, this coming Sunday, uh, Archbishop Sean Larkin from Surrey, England, will be with us uh, this coming Sunday. And he is uh, a guy that I met. He is a real close, close friend of Russ Parker, whom most of you that know him love. Uh, they went to Bible school together. I don't know. They're, uh, Russ is a little older. I think Russ is 70, and I think, uh, uh, I think uh, Sean is maybe 64, 65, something like maybe 62. But anyway, the point of it, they went to Bible school together, and they're good folks. And I met him when I was going to Rome to speak uh, and to be there for Pentecost in 2017. And uh, he's, he is in a similar position as us in that he is not in the mainline Anglican Church or the Church of England for a lot of reasons uh, that are sort of obvious to those who keep up on these things. Uh, and so then on the 21st, I believe is what it is, on that Tuesday we're having a Make your own nacho night thing. You know how we do those Tuesday night things. And on that night, he is going to speak, and uh, and you'll be have a chance to ask questions about Anglicanism. You know, for us, of course, Christian is the noun, Anglican is the adjective, and so we don't spend much time talking about our distinctives. Not that we don't believe them, not that we don't hold them. It's just that 95% we agree with every other born-again Christian, so that's the, you know, the most important things are the most important things. But occasionally, once every five or six years, we'll have these days, like with, uh, when Archbishop Sean is here, and we'll have a chance to talk about the state of Anglicanism or other questions you might have. Uh, we're not in any big hurry, but he is the right kind of person, I believe, and, and uh, so we're, uh, you know, in a year or two, uh, we, this might grow into something other than a friendship. We'll see. But uh, part of that is having him come several times and people get to know him and ask him questions, etc. cetera. Uh, he doesn't like talking about this kind of thing, but Greg Venables, who is the Archbishop of the Southern Cone uh, and is connected with ACNA and all that, uh, he is a friend of, uh, of Sean's. And uh, years ago, he introduced him to Archbishop, and I think you say Begolia was, was at the time, the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, who became Pope Francis. And for about 10 years, 
then Archbishop Bergoglio, now Pope Francis, was his spiritual director. And Jesus, it's a fascinating story, similar to us, of which uh, a strong evangelical background. Uh, he was connected with the vineyard and some other things in terms of the spirit, uh, but is, uh, you know, became Anglican through the years. And, uh, you know, you just can't even imagine all that. And there's, there's so much more to tell you, but uh, we'll leave it for there for this morning. But so next Sunday, he'll be with us. We've got our baptism. It's Mother's Day. Uh, I guess it's a good to have Mother's Day on a baptismal Sunday. That's a good uh, connection. Um, and then on the 21st, he will be here. Uh, the next Sunday, I'll be in Vero Beach ordaining a priest that next, like the 19th, but he'll be here Tuesday the 21st uh, with us, and uh, we'll be eating nachos, and we'll be talking Anglicanism. And some of you really have lots of good questions and stuff, and to me, it's just so sad. The world is such a mess. I don't like to think of it. I know about it, but I just don't like to get into it. But, but there is a time, too, and it'll be great to hear another perspective, and so we're looking forward. Now, Sean prefers to be in shorts and T-shirt. Uh, when you go visit him, that's what he dresses like when it's cold in England, so you think, my goodness. But I've told him when he comes here, he has to look professional. So uh, he has all the gear and everything, so you'll see him, and he'll be looking sharp. But he's a very laid back. He is not a pretentious or self-important kind of person. He's a real man of God, and I, that's part of why I like him so much. All right, I, I think I've covered all the announcements. Have I missed anything? Okay. The other thing is that we are praying, uh, and we are in negotiations or talking about potentially buying the property next door. Uh, our hope would be to, in the short run, uh, to, to uh, fix it up and make Sunday school rooms out of it in the short run, and sh- short run, and then eventually to build a family life center that would give us a lot more Sunday school rooms and some more space. That's our, uh, you'll hear a lot more sort of definitives on that, but that's what we're hoping and praying about. And so I hope that you're praying. It's going to take some money uh, to purchase it and to uh, and then to begin a real thrust to, to save some money and to uh, put a new building uh, up and all that. So anyway, it's, it's exciting, uh, and, uh, but it's difficult because uh, Patrick, who is a member here, and uh, you know, he uh, has got to, you know, he's going to have to move, and, and uh, he doesn't want to move, and so it's, it's tough. So we need to pray for him and for his brothers and for all the different things that are involved in that, and we want to remember them. Okay, this morning is the second Sunday after Easter, and let's just talk for a moment in the collect this morning. Remember, if you look at the prayer or the collect for a particular Sunday, then you can understand. I don't know why, but I'm going to be spitting all over you. I like this, David. I I like it when David's right in the front row, because I am a spitter. I am the real deal spitter. I'm going to try to move back, but it's hard for me. All right, so uh, the second Sunday after, uh, after the resurrection, the idea is, of course, uh, this morning, the collet. The collet gives us the thesis statement for any particular Sunday. And if you can understand and reflect, you can see how the gospel and the epistle will be connected to the prayer. So the prayer was mainly for two things. One, in the acknowledgement that Jesus came to be a sacrifice for sin, but to recognize he was also an ensample, the old English ensample, E-N-S instead of example. An ensample, uh, Father Carter read that very beautifully, I don't see where he is. But there he is back. You read it very nice. Uh, a lot of times we just fudge and say example, but he read as end sample, as it says uh, in the collect. Uh, so the emphasis today is, hey, we want to be people of resurrection and appreciate resurrection, but we also want to recognize the pattern of Jesus. And, and wouldn't it be nice if we never got sick and we always had Mercedes and Rolls Royces and everybody owned big business? I mean, that would be great. You know, our kids never needed to be potty trained. That'd be wonderful. 
Uh, and there are branches of the church that basically say that the suffering and death of Jesus Christ and resurrection means that if we just have enough faith or if we're just good enough people, nothing bad ever happens. That is not the teaching in the New Testament. And yet we are people who believe in deliverance of demons and healing. We believe in all those things, but we don't believe that we can avoid all the suffering and pain in this life because that's not what the New Testament teaches. And we're going to look specifically at Peter here in a minute uh, in the second chapter. But, but so the, the, the thing here this morning is remembering he was a sacrifice for sin. We were saved by his sacrifice, but that also came by a certain road of suffering. And that that road of suffering, Peter's going to tell us, as that colic alludes to, is the pattern that we are to follow as well and recognize we're not looking for suffering or bad things to happen, but when they do, how we suffer, understanding our respect and reverence for God, is that, uh, and that because Jesus lives in our heart by faith, that God pours out grace even to the persecutors of us when we do the right things, and that that's part of us following the example or pattern of Jesus. Now, just briefly in the gospel this morning, Jesus talks about the good shepherd. And he talks about the good shepherd and how the good shepherd uh, is not a hireling. When the wolf comes, the good shepherd beats the wolf. Now, how does the good shepherd beat the wolf? Does he use a 12-gauge, which I would be want to do. I'd want to use a 12-gauge with buckshot. That'll do it, but a mess on a wolf. How does Jesus beat the wolf? Does he use his stick? Does he use his crozier? How does he do it? Jesus does it by his sacrifice on the cross. He, uh, he says a hireling flees. He said, I stand up the wolf. But the way he does, as you, if you read, and as Jack read so, uh, excuse me, as uh, Larry read so beautifully, the way Jesus does it is he lays down his life. He is willing in all of his strength and power to instead to suffer, to bleed and die on the cross as the means of untangling uh, things and setting the universe in order by his grace and righteousness. So he dies. That's how he stands up. And so the church is putting it, this Sunday is, hey, sometimes we suffer Sunday. We don't have a big crowd on sometimes we suffer Sunday. All right? But this is sometimes we suffer Sunday. And on this Sunday, we'll remember that's the model and pattern of Jesus. All right? And Jesus dealt with the devil by humbling himself even to death on the cross. All right? And if Jesus had to humble himself and sometimes suffer unjustly, etc., then we need to be following that example. Let's look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter is pretty straightforward this morning. Now, I actually put up 18. The reading was correct, as Jack read, uh, but I just put the verse before because the context is about slavery here in the sense of uh, in the, uh, the Christians in the first century were mostly poor people. They were uh, physicians, lawyers, teachers, but they were slaves. Now, slavery in the Roman and Greco world was not the same as it was in the American South. Uh, for example, slaves in the Greco-Roman world could own slaves. They could own property. Their families were not allowed to be torn apart. There were certain rights, but they certainly could be beaten and even killed in some situations uh, while they were slaves. So in the sense that they were slaves, during that time, if they didn't have the, the money or wherewithal, which many didn't, uh, to be free, they were subject to obviously terrible, terrible evil things. Uh, but it was on a credit system, and there was at least theoretically the possibility that you could buy yourself into freedom, all right? But it's amazing because it was very common, for example, in the Greco-Roman world for a slave might own 15 or 20 slaves himself. Uh, and so how all that worked, I mean, it's kind of fascinating. Sometimes we could uh, talk about it, but it was a very different sort of thing. In fact, so many slaves were getting their freedom at the time of Christ 
that the emperor slowed it down because he felt like it was disrupting the social order because so many people were able to get their freedom at that time. But it was still an evil and just, we're not making anything good about it, it just, it's not the same, uh, it wasn't exactly the same as we had in our country here. Now, so, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, and that is, with all fear to God. Now, we're not slaves, although some of us in our economics, it feels that way. I mean, there are people in this country who are experiencing a lot of heartache and pain. Uh, You know, we don't take that lightly. Uh, But if we imagine for ourselves, we're not slaves, uh, but we do have people who have power over us, sometimes bosses, uh, it could be the government, the police, whatever, where we're not treated properly and right. Uh, And that can happen. I've had situations, I was at Santa Fe years ago, and they hired me because I was an Episcopal priest. And they assumed that if you were an Episcopal priest, you were liberal. So when they found out that I was a born-again Christian, and I was uh, believing in the Bible and conservative in my theology... I started had my chair start trying to constructively dismiss me. She tried to get rid of me because I was not what she thought. She thought I was liberal. So I've experienced some little things compared to what people can, you know, experience all over the world. That's nothing. But in this life, there is going to be injustice and there's going to be uh, things that are not right and unfair. And, and Jesus is calling us and Peter's reminding us that we are called to live and to follow the pattern and example of Jesus. So out of respect to God... And the example of Jesus, he's saying that we want to act submissively. Now, this does not mean that we collude with unrighteousness or that we don't use uh, the HR department or whatever. I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't, uh, uh, you know, have times where we, we vote to change things or whatever. I mean, there's, there's right and just ways within our culture and civilization. But even within those things, you will find situations where you can't just get out of it. And then how you suffer and how you experience and go through what you go through makes all the difference in the world. And the reason is, Peter's going to tell us there is grace that is released if we suffer unjustly and do it the right way like Jesus, the Holy Spirit, grace is going to be released into the atmosphere. And sometimes even our persecutors are going to have a complete change of heart and mind. Now he develops that further in chapter 4 and 5, but, but this morning we'll see a, a, at least a good glimpse of it in this text. So, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, out of respect to God. Not only the good ones, the good and the gentle ones, but also to the harsh. Then 19. For this is commendable. It's praiseworthy to God. If because of conscience towards God, it's probably really consciousness to God. Meaning, if if because of you realize that Jesus died for me and he suffered for me, therefore I will act in a way that pleases him. It's not a lot different, but probably we translate it better out of consciousness of God. In reflection on him, we live a certain way. There's an ethics that comes from the cross and resurrection. All right, and out of consciousness of God and out of conscience sake towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Wouldn't it be nice if he says, just cast it out in Jesus' name and everything will go great for you. It'll be all easy and good. It'd be nice, but that's not what he says. All right, he says, this is going to please God. 20. He says, but what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults? Now, in that world, of course, a slave would be in a situation where they certainly could be beaten unjustly uh, and, and uh, raped. I mean, there's all kinds of terrible things that could happen. He says, what credit is it, though, when if you are beaten for your own faults, you take it patiently? Meaning, if I'm nice to the cop, if I'm going 60 in the 45, I might have been doing that this morning and caught myself on the way to the 8 o'clock service. I, I was with the truck there, and someone was trying to, you know, kind of sped up, so the, the car was trying to kind of cut me off, so I kind of, sorry, wasn't very Christian, but I kind of 
Anyway, I look down, I'm, go, I'm going 60 and a 45. Thank the Lord I didn't get a ticket. But if I got a ticket, I wouldn't be suffering justly to act nice about that because I was speeding. Now, if I was going 45 with the cruise control set, no way I'm going 45, and I got a ticket for going 60, and I handle that nice, now that would be something. All right, that would be a different thing. That's kind of what we're talking about when we suffer unjustly. All right? So what good is it if when you, what, is to, what credit is in it if when you are beaten for your own faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Now, I don't know, you, you have those people in situations, bosses, neighbors, whatever. We have some. You know, we had a f- couple years here that's been going really good with the neighbor of ours, and she's gotten riled up again. And, uh, you know, my temptation is to say, under my breath, you'll get yours eventually. And she will, but, uh, but by the grace of God. Uh, she's, acting, you know, she's, a, she's acting viciously and for no reason. Uh, but uh, she cursed out Susie, I can't tell you how many times, and the workers that have worked on our, I mean, it's crazy. And so you want in the inside to, to, to mutter under your breath or, or to wish something bad. And, and, and yet, uh, Paul, Peter says, hey, look, that's not the way we want to be. We want to, to suffer and want to suffer in a proper way that would honor and bring glory to Jesus. So I've had to back up and uh, be careful uh, about my internal thinking. I'm not one that's going to say it out loud, but, but we can be doing just as much sin by thinking it internally as if we speak it externally. So, uh, but when you do good and suffer, ta- and, and you, if you take it patiently, this is commendable, praiseworthy before God. 21, for to this you were called. He says, look, suffering, there is a purpose in suffering. One of the lies of the enemy is, there is that you're just a victim and you're just a loser, and, uh, you know, that's the way it is, and God doesn't care. Instead, Peter says, this is the, there's a purpose in it. There was a purpose in the suffering and death of Jesus. It brought resurrection and salvation. And so what Peter's saying is, even in your suffering, because Jesus lives in your heart by faith, when you suffer unjustly and you do what is right, God is glorified, and because you're united with Christ, that suffering also releases grace. Watch this. For this you were called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. And I have no idea why there's a typo. But anyway, but suffered for you, leave an example that you should follow his steps. Now, the idea here of following his steps is a pattern. The example is pattern. Now, I don't know. We have teachers here, and I can't quite get the sentence. But apparently they used to, not when I was a kid, but earlier than that. They used to have sentences like, if a lazy fox jumps over the tree, something. But it... Yeah, so if the, if the brown fox, yes, the quick brown fox jumped over the lazy dog or something, but it's a, it's a letter in which every alphabet letter is in it. It's a sentence. And so apparently in the old days, before B, and Russ is 96, so that's the old days. In the old days, uh, uh-oh, 97? 98, oh my goodness, I'm cheating him. He's 98. In the old days, they would do that, and then you would trace over those letters of the sentence, and that way you'd be able to trace and learn how to say all of your, all, all of, you know, you'd learn all the letters of the alphabet by tracing that sentence. In Greek, they used to have uh, sentences, and that is how they used to teach kids how to learn Greek in, back in the first century and earlier. So when Peter writes this, he's saying, 
Christ suffered for you, leaving you a tracing pattern, something to trace and to follow after carefully. That it's not just the resurrection that we follow. We follow Jesus in his humility and in his suffering and the way he suffered on the way to the cross, then to experience the resurrection. All right, and so Peter's telling us this is the purpose, this is the way that God released grace in this universe. And as we follow that example, because we have a real union with Jesus, in some powerful way, something far bigger is going on than just the littleness of our suffering. And, and instead, Peter's suggesting that God is pouring out grace even to our persecutors when they do the evil things that they do. So, for this you were called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps, tracing. Then it reminds us out of Isaiah 53, who committed no sins. He was saying, remember how Jesus gave us salvation? Okay, he didn't commit any sin, but he suffered. This is what Peter's reminding us by quoting from Isaiah 53. Look at the example of Jesus, he's saying. If that's how grace was released then, Jesus, because you're united with him by faith, also is working even through your faithfulness in suffering when you suffer unjustly now. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit, he didn't lie and try to get out, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, spoken evilly about, did not revile in return. That's the hardest thing to do, is not to answer back, right? He was not reviled, he not, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He could have said, don't worry, my dad's going to get you. I mean, we, I, I played on some bad football teams as a, as a young boy. And, uh, you know, the old Harvard cheer? The, the Harvard cheer is the cheer that you cheer if you're a football team that's getting clobbered. And the Harvard cheer is this. That's all right. That's okay. You will work for us one day. <laughs> that, is a, that is the Harvard cheer. Uh, that's, that is, so the idea is that you might beat us today, but we're going to get you later. You're going to work for us later. We're going to be wealthier than you. That's the theory. That's the, that's the Harvard cheer. You, we, there's a part of us that wants to... To fight back even internally, uh, even though that's not the example of Jesus. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He could have said, my dad's going to get you. There is hell to pay. I think of that expression, there's hell to pay a lot. i got to be careful. All right? Uh, we pray, Lord, bless them. Save them. Change their hearts. Change their minds. There is hell to pay, but that's not the attitude of Jesus. Jesus focused on his love and the Father's love in accomplishing suffering to bring salvation. Sometimes God is allowing evil things to take place that if his people would live in obedience to him with the attitude of Jesus, that grace would be poured out and change the hearts even of those who are wickedly uh, mistreating us uh, and hurting us. So, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Now listen, this, the idea here is not that he's on the cross bearing our sins, which is true. This is a unique expression which seems to indicate, in Peter's mind, that he's carrying, in his suffering, he is carrying our wounds with him to go to the cross. It's like, uh, so it's, in Greek it's epi, it's a, and it, it, this preposition suggests that he's carrying all the sins and wounds with him to go to the cross. And this deliberate commitment to Jesus to suffer and die for us that we might be saved. And he's saying, again, the example, if we follow that example, there are people as we suffer uh, appropriately with the heart of Jesus, even the wicked will have their hearts turned. So he himself bore our sins in his own body, carried him on his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness. 
by whose stripes you were healed, by the stripes of Jesus, meaning it was through the very suffering of Jesus that our sins were forgiven, our bodies are healed, all the riches come to us because he was willing to humble himself even to death on the cross. And he says, and you were like sheep going astray. It was the suffering of Jesus that let us know we could trust him to be gathered into his gospel, okay? Meaning it's the preaching and teaching the gospel came in power because we knew the kind of God he is because he was willing to suffer for us. So he's saying it was through this suffering that we're gathered as lost sheep back into him for salvation. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer, our bishop. That's, there's a word, just so you know, episkopoi. That's where that word is, one of the places in the New Testament, to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now listen, I want to read a quote from uh, N.T. Wright as we close. It is certain that we're going to suffer. Okay, We are going to suffer, and, and let's hope that when we suffer, some of it's marriage, some of it's other, there's all kinds of places that we're suffering, experiencing pain. And Jesus is calling us, and Peter's reminding us by the power of the Spirit that how we suffer makes all the difference. Now listen to this from N.T. Wright, a famous Anglican bishop, but great theologian. Listen to what he says. Now we see how important it is for Peter to say what he does about slaves and masters and about other situations later in the letter. Uh, he, letter of First Peter. He isn't simply recommending that people remain passive while suffering violence. He is urging them to realize that somehow, strangely, the sufferings of the Messiah are not only the means by which we ourselves are rescued from our own sin. So he's saying, Peter wants us to understand that we were rescued by the sufferings of Jesus. But he says, but here's something even uh, as profound. Sufferings are also the means when extended through the life of his people, the people of God, by which the world itself may be brought to a new place. Listen to that again. Suffering is the means. I'm, it says they, but I'm, suffering is the means when extended through our lives. When we choose to follow Jesus and suffer unjustly, but properly in praying for our persecutors and our enemies, suffering is the means when extended through our lives, by which the world, our enemies, those who are persecuting us, may be brought to a new place. Meaning grace, the pattern of Jesus, shows us the heart of God and how grace is released when we choose to follow the path of Jesus. How does that work? How could we be part of grace being released? Because Jesus lives in our heart by faith. We're united to him. And so when we submit to him and follow him, Jesus and his sufferings, our sufferings are his sufferings. His death was our death. His resurrection was ours. There's this realism that Paul and Peter talk about. And so that our sufferings allow him, as we follow his example, to pour out grace even upon the wicked and those who would be persecuting good and righteous people. This, N.T. Wright says, is hard to believe. It looks to many as though it's just a clever way of not confronting the real issue. But Peter believes that the death and resurrection of Jesus was and is the point around which everything else in the world revolves. Somehow, he is saying, we must see all the unjust suffering of God's people as caught up within the suffering of his son Jesus. That's a very powerful thing. Peter is clearly trying to tell us this, that there's something incredible that God does if we make the tough choice to suffer and to follow Jesus, even in the fire, that God's grace and his mercy as we bless our enemies instead of curse them, that God pours out grace and changes the hearts by his gospel of even some of the most wicked and evil people 
uh, that could be around. We've seen this in history. We've seen it in history. We've seen it. Uh, there's all kinds of examples. I mean, we can look at Newton and others, but, but, but at the end of the day, Jesus is inviting us to follow that example. This is the purpose to which we're called, to trace our steps in his steps. When someone teaches, oh, if you have faith, you never get sick, you always have, don't believe it. Okay, we follow the example of Jesus. Jesus suffered, bled, and died, but was resurrected. We are people who are very likely in our lives at times. We'll experience great heartache and pain, but if we follow Jesus, we'll know that God will be pleased, and also that we know today is coming in this life and life to come, where we're going to experience the power of the resurrection. Paul says in Ephesians, the very power of the resurrection is alive and working in our lives. Okay? Part of the way we tap into the most profound way is as we endure sufferings in a Christ-like way. That's what God's calling us to do. Now listen, you got to suffer Sunday is not a big Sunday. You can see, I don't know where everybody is. They must have known it was suffering Sunday. But I can tell you this, it's not milk to hear Peter and to realize what he's calling us to. That part of what it means to receive salvation and to know that in the life to come we're going to be with him also means in this life we must act the way he did. That needs, for me, it needs a lot of repentance. I had to repent about my neighbor. I wasn't, you know, cursing or anything, but I was not thinking the best thoughts. I was thinking a little bit more along the lines is, you will get yours one day. So I had to repent of my, you will get yours one day, and I had to go back and say, Lord, forgive me, and, and, and begin to bless her and get back on the track of blessing her and asking God to give her a better mind and to help her and whatever's wrong with her. Uh, some of you, it's bosses, it's in marriages and tough situations and impossible situations with kids and parents. And I, I mean, some of you are really going through it. Jesus is not saying this. This is not plastic Jesus uh, just acting like it's no big deal. Peter understood that some people would be beaten in some of these situations uh, that they were in uh, back in the first century. He understands, but he also believes that there is something so powerful when we align our hearts and behavior with Jesus that the grace and power of God is released in this wicked world. We really need it. And in a sense, Peter's saying, in the logic of the world, part of why God is allowing suffering to go on at some peace uh, is because grace is being released because it is the wisdom of God to bring salvation even through suffering and injustice. Uh, we hate it, and God hates it. But he's made a way an example through Jesus, and that's the way in which we're to follow. Uh, that's a tough word. We won't get many Christian converts teaching that on day one, all right? But, hey, it's better for us to know this is what Jesus is calling us to. This is the purpose to which you're called, to follow Jesus. We don't look for suffering. We don't try to create anything bad. But when it comes, we want to act like Jesus uh, because he's our model and our example. Now, Lord Jesus, this is a tough word. It's a tough word, Lord. Some of us are really going through it. And, and it feels like uh, it just means that our suffering and pain don't matter. But, Lord, I pray that you would bring such comfort and your presence here this morning that we would know that you see all the tears and all the pain, all the heartache, and that it matters immensely to you, Lord. And that you're so pleased as we're making choices better and better to follow you in the midst of our loneliness and our pain and our suffering. Lord, would you pour out your spirit? Would you bring, as we suffer uh, more and more in submission to you in the pattern of Jesus, would you pour out your grace and your healing? Would you bring the restoration and the good things that you promise? Lord, we're willing to suffer with you, but we pray also that we could experience the power of the resurrection with you as well. Lord, we thank you for the cross and for your shed blood. For what you went through for us, Lord, help us to be obedient and submissive as we follow that example.
We ask these things in the precious and the wonderful name of Jesus. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven.